Excited to jump in this series, Living Faithfully. You can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, and we're going to be in verses 14 through 18, okay? And now if you uh, remember, Pastor Tyler, he finished up the Kingdom Parables series this last week. And as he was closing, he kind of honed in a little bit on verses 14 through 17. And then it left us with verse 18. Now, I can't tell you how many people, maybe you're like me, you read ahead to see where we are in the text for next week. Well, I can't tell you how many people texted me and said, bro, I found out you're preaching. I read ahead, bro, I'm praying for you. I was like, I don't know if that makes you feel good or if that makes you feel bad. And uh, they saw the topic that's in verse 18. And uh, I don't, if you're like me, you read verse 18 and you're like, wait, why is that verse there? <laughs> Sometimes you can look at the Bible and uh, you look at it from a hundred foot view and it's sort of like that verse feels explicitly clear, a little ambiguous, and it's right in the middle of all this stuff that's going on. Why is that verse there? And God um, really challenged me this week in studying our Bibles properly, studying our Bibles correctly. Contact, context is everything. Placement always has purpose in the Bible. And so Jesus does want us to deal with the issue surrounding divorce and remarriage today. But more than that, Jesus wants to be fi- us to be faithful to the text that Luke has put in front of us today, okay? And so here's the thing, as I've studied, the Lord has so convicted my heart this week. I've been greatly convicted by the context surrounding this verse, and I believe you will be too. Uh, If you've heard the word divorce and remarriage and marriage already, and you've kind of checked out, let me invite you to check back in this morning. I think God wants to speak to something so much bigger than what we often get our eyes on. And I believe that the message that Jesus is confronting, that Jesus is revealing today, uh, is, is applicable and important and convicting to every single person in this room today. And so let's check back in together. Let's give our eyes and our hearts attention to the word of God. I'm gonna read the entire passage and then we'll dig in. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 14. Now hear the word of the Lord. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Point number one this morning is this, Jesus confronts the self-righteous heart. Jesus confronts the self-righteous heart. We'll pick it back up in verse 14. It says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money. Tyler told us last week, we don't want to be lovers of money 
like the Pharisees. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. So it's okay to have money. It's not okay when your money has you. And that's a tension that we live in as human beings. The Pharisees, they were all about more money, okay? And it says that these Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things, all the parables that Jesus just taught. Jesus finishes his kingdom parable series. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. The Pharisees hear all these things, these religious leaders, and it says that they ridiculed him. They're mocking Jesus' teaching of the kingdom of God. They laugh at it. They shrug it off. They act like it's no big deal. It's like, it'd be like you coming to church, acting as if you have it all together. Yeah, I'm a Christ follower. I'm a Christian, raising your hands in worship. And then you hear convicting truth from uh, the platform. You hear convicting truth from God's word and you walk away saying, uh, you know, I mean, like they're, they're really holy. Like I live in the economy of grace. I can live like this and still be a Jesus follower. Like, like it's, it's okay to do these things. That's kind of how the Pharisees were acting. And Jesus he doesn't have it. He just goes straight and, convi- and, and, and starts to talk to them. Look what it says in verse 15. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. See, God will always know our hearts. Even here today, God knows every single heart of every person in this room. No matter what we look like on the outside or how good or how righteous we might think we are, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you justify your sins by bending the law to fit your own agenda. You masquerade around as holy individuals who have it all together when in reality God knows your heart and it is deceitfully wicked. Verse 15 goes on, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. See, there were moral laws laid out by God not being kept. Sinful living, being justified by culture, by relevance, by preference, and by desire. Does that sound like anywhere familiar? I mean, this is so relevant to our day today. God's laws being twisted, foundations being changed in order to fit our preference, our desires, our culture. And Jesus calls it an abomination before God. What God calls sin and man calls acceptable will always be sin. Look in verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. That's talking about John the Baptist. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. See, the Pharisees were trying to live in their own moral standards under the belief that the Old Testament is becoming irrelevant and God's standards have changed. I've had that conversation with young people, even in our community. Man, like, that's the Old Testament. I I live under the grace of the New Testament. The law is gone. And, 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 And Jesus here, he talks about the law of the prophets and the law, the prophets and the law. See, there were, there were two things happening. In the Old Testament, you have Jesus's prophetic promises. Well, the Pharisees, they're rejecting the prophetic promises of God. Anything that God promised in the Old Testament is going to come true. It's going to stand. All his promises are yes and amen. And the Pharisees, they're rejecting the prophetic promises of God. But not only that, they were rejecting the moral law of God. 
What God called sin in the Old Testament is still sin today. What God calls unrighteousness in the Old Testament is still unrighteous today. What God calls unholy is still unholy because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Morality does not change. Not only were these Pharisees rejecting prophetic law and moral law, they were missing the message of Christ that was right in front of them. John comes along and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and the Pharisees are rejecting it, ultimately rejecting Jesus Christ because they were too concerned with their own desires. They were too concerned with getting what they wanted when they wanted it. They were too concerned with looking like they were holy and they had it all together that they were missing the very Messiah that they studied for their whole lives. He was right in front of them. Verse 17, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. See, one day Jesus is going to come back. That's what he's preaching in the parables, that he'll establish a new heaven and a new earth, a new kingdom. Everything that we know will pass away and God will bring a new heaven and a new earth. And as mind-blowing as that sounds, as impossible as all that can sound, Jesus says, friends, it's way easier for that to happen than for one dot of the law to change. For one letter of the law to become void. And you because of your self-righteousness, are justifying your actions before men when in reality it's an abomination to the Lord. God's moral law does not change. His prophetic promises will come to pass. And I am living proof of the Savior, who is Christ the Lord, the Messiah that you have waited for. We are fooling ourselves if we believe we can look the part and not uphold the righteousness that God has called us to. We're fooling ourselves. It's so relevant to everyone in this room right now, young, old, teenager, married, not married. This is relevant to everyone in the room and it's easy to claim Christ. It's easy to look the part all while justifying our own sinful desires. Pharisees claim the name of Christ but change God's law to fit what is right in their own eyes. On Monday, I was beginning to study for this message and how I like to start uh, the study process is just to have a journal and kind of like write out my thoughts as I read God's word. When I got to this point, the Holy Spirit just was convicting me so much of my self-righteousness. And I, and I wrote out this blurb and I put it, I wanted to read it to you. I wrote this down. I am convicted of this even as I write. I can so easily fall into the category of a Pharisee with my wife and kids because I can so easily rattle off spiritual sounding truth to justify something I've said or done or even deny the sin that is so obvious to those affected by it. 
Even when my wife or kids may say, hey, can you stop grumbling or complaining about your day or the task at hand? And I say, oh, I'm not grumbling. I'm just justifying my actions based on my own standards. I am delusionally prone to being a self-righteous Pharisee who justifies himself before God. Forgive me, Lord. And as convicting as all of that is to me, I would venture to say that there are many in this room that could raise their hand and say that they're as delusionally prone to the same thing. See, Jesus is always the bringer of good news. And yet perhaps the most missed or most easily denied part of the gospel is the part that doesn't sound so much like good news. It's the truth that we are self-righteous sinners, separated by God, and even in our greatest attempts at being good people, we fall short of the glory of God. You gotta get that. You can't have a savior until you realize your need for the savior. And when we say we follow him with our lips and our hearts are far from him, we have not only justified what is righteous by our own standards, but we have missed the savior just like the Pharisees. Anyone feel convicted yet this morning? But Jesus, he didn't stop there. Jesus spent some time confronting these Pharisees on their self-righteous living, their exaltation of sin when it's an abomination to the Lord, their ignoring of God's moral law, his promises. And Jesus doesn't stop there. It's here that Jesus says, let me prove it to you. You don't think you've been living this way? Let me show you that you live self-righteously, that you live by your own standards. Leads us to point number two, Jesus reveals the self-righteous heart. First he confronts the self-righteous heart and now he reveals the self-righteous heart and we pick it up in verse 18. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. So I like to imagine Jesus here. He, he just confronted the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. And then I think it's like, let me prove it to you. He takes the catalog of God's law off of the shelf and he begins to flick through it. He's like, hmm, God's laws, God's moral laws. He could have chose any law to fill verse 18 with. And yet Jesus chooses to deal with the issues surrounding divorce and remarriage. Jesus picks a law that the Pharisees were notorious for violating. See, divorce was rampant among the Pharisees. It wasn't that culture. It was rampant among the religious leaders of that day. They knew God's law. For sure they knew it better than anyone they knew God's foundation and desire for marriage better than anyone, but the Pharisees were hypocrites and hypocrites are really good at ignoring the commands that they don't like. And so these Pharisees, they followed the teachings of Rabbi Hillel. Rabbi Hillel was this early Jewish rabbi. He had a whole school of thought 
created around divorce and remarriage, what was lawful. And this is a legit list, okay? His list wasn't limited to these things, as you could imagine, uh, but this is an actual list of how it was lawful to divorce your wife for the Pharisees set up for man's exaltation of what they believed was right in their own eyes, okay? If your wife burns the dinner, you can give her a certificate of divorce. This is legit stuff. If she puts too much salt on your food, you can give her a certificate of divorce. If she was spinning in the streets and her knees show, you can give her a certificate of divorce. If she's infertile, she can't give me a son, even she's becoming displeasing to my eyes because that woman has become more pleasing to my eyes. And you could give her a certificate of divorce. Not limited to that list, as you can imagine, but those were actual things being held up by these certificates of divorce, all of it built out of a skewed view of Deuteronomy 24, where God allowed Moses to give a certificate of divorce and they take the words out of context and twist it so that it fits man's desires rather than God's foundation. And Jesus, he looks at him and says, you are adulterers. They were parading around as a standard of holiness when their actions were an abomination to the Lord. Sure, they weren't committing an act of an adultery in their covenant of marriage, but they were dumping off their wives whenever they want and getting remarried so that they could get what they want and so on and so on and so on. In that culture, it would have been hard to find somebody who hadn't been divorced and remarried and again and again and again. They were multiplying adultery through their divorces. Divorce was simply the fruit of the root of their self-righteous hearts. And Jesus is confronting it. So let's make it relevant to us today. Divorce and remarriage is one of those subjects that has more opinions, even a little bit of ambiguity probably among the church and among our world for sure. I think it's important to know that God, his opinion matters. His opinion is the only opinion that matters, but he has zero unclarity around the subject of divorce and remarriage. While the Bible doesn't speak a whole lot about the subject, it certainly speaks a lot about God's foundation for marriage and all that it should be. And so our questions and our opinions, the ambiguity around the subject, the issue, is all due to a world muddled with sin. See, we live in a decaying, broken world. And you and I are not just broken individuals. We are sinful individuals. Sin is willfully rebelling against God. When we choose to not abide in Christ, to be careful to obey his laws and the things that he's commanded, when we choose to not walk worthy of the manner in which he has called us, we are willfully rebelling against God, thus being contributors to the brokenness of this world, of this culture. 
And just as divorce was rampant in Jesus' day, I believe it's the same in ours. Not only is it rampant, but it's becoming easy and even flippant. Just, just simply Google the word divorce. Countless articles. Helpful articles of how to walk through this peacefully and as easily as possible. Divorce, divorce lawyers ready to make it easy and acceptable, even onlinedivorce.com, ready to file in just 15 minutes for only $139, fast, lawyer-free, and 100% guarantee. Statistics show that 40 to 50% of marriages end in divorce today. 29% within the first five years of marriage. Just this week, uh, Larry King uh, from CNN, he's getting a divorce. It says this in the article, the TV personality has married eight times and is on his way to his eighth divorce. He's 86 years old. He says this to People Magazine. I'm sorry about the marriage, King said to People Magazine. I'll always care for my wife, but it just hit a point where we didn't get along. I got married a lot, but in my head, I'm not a marrying guy. When I grew up, nobody lived together. If you fell in love, you got married. And so I married the ones that I loved. But what I loved in my 20s is not what I loved in my 30s. And what I loved in my 30s is not what I loved in my 40s. I never cheated on my wives. So said the Pharisees. He says this, she is a very religious Mormon and I'm an agnostic atheist. So eventually that causes little problems. Lord, would you save Dr. Larry King? He certainly heard the good news and he's no more lost than I am. Would you break into his life, reveal his need for Jesus, even now as we preach this message together? Lord, do it in Jesus' name, amen. But y'all, this is the heartbreaking reality of our day. This is why Jesus chooses to deal with the sin surrounding broken marriage. He says, everyone who divorces or remarries commits adultery. Pretty clear. And yet this is where the questions start to come in for us. Well, well what if I had grounds for divorce? Or what if I'm the innocent party? Or what if my spouse up and left me and left me deserted? And we start asking all these questions. Listen, I can't answer all of the unique situations, all of the questions that are in this room today. Some of you are walking through very painful circumstances. If, if you find yourself in those situations, if you find yourself asking those questions today and yet you have a soft heart and you want to honor Christ, in the way that you deal with your circumstance, in the way that you walk through your situation, then you are in the right place. There are counselors at our church that would love to talk with you. A couple came up after the 8 a.m. service who has been in counseling. Their marriage, they said, had a 0.5% of staying together, and they were in tears this morning at how this church has helped them remain married to one another and honor Christ in their marriage. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Come on. And so there is hope no matter what you're going through today. And if you have a soft heart and you want to honor Christ, you're in a great place. Pastors, elders, counselors would love to talk with you and walk with you. My advice is to not do it alone.
But Luke, he doesn't really deal with a whole lot. He just kind of gives us this clear statement in Luke chapter 16. Sure, if you dig around on divorce and remarriage in the Bible, Matthew has an exception clause around sexual immorality and and 1 Corinthians talks about desertion. Uh, But Luke chooses to hone in because Jesus is more concerned with the self-righteous hearts and the abuse that's taking a place around this subject. And so he says, everyone who divorces, everyone who remarries commits adultery because God is serious about the covenant of oneness made when we vow to have and to hold from this time forth and forevermore, for better or for worse, till death do us part. God holds marriage in high honor. God loves marriage. Jesus loves marriage. Jesus held marriage in high honor and we, the church, need to hold marriage in high honor. The famous Gospel City Church pastor, Trent Griffith, he defines marriage as this. Marriage is a holy covenant initiated by God, conditioned on an irrevocable promise to pursue oneness with an imperfect person of the opposite sex for a lifetime, for the glory of God. Our marriages are a God-made covenant, not a man-made covenant contract. God sees your marriage as permanent, as lasting, and durable, able to withstand the hardships of this life, able to withstand the sin issues that this life will bring. We need to view our marriage as a covenant, not a contract. Covenants are kept, contracts are broken. Not only that, it's a holy covenant, it's initiated by God, and it's conditioned on an irrevocable promise. Listen, it's God's desire that every person who's married here today stay in that marriage for the rest of your life. I believe that's God's desire. If you're here today and you're married, it's God's desire that you would stay in that marriage for the rest of your life. Your marriage will take great faith Malachi chapter 2 in the NASB says that God hates divorce, but more than that, uh, the spouse was dealing faithlessly with their spouse. We're not after faithless marriages. Marriages take great faith. Husbands loving their wives takes faith. Wives submitting to their husbands takes faith. Not only does it take faith, but your marriage will not be easy. No marriage is easy. But by the power of God and by the example of Jesus, he can enable us to keep our promises just as he keeps his. You're married to an imperfect person. Every marriage will need forgiveness. When Pastor Trent does a wedding, I've I've stolen this from him. Maybe he's stolen it from me. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Our marriages will take many minor acts of forgiveness and several major acts of forgiveness. There are no enduring marriages without forgiveness. And you are never more like Jesus Christ than when you choose to forgive. And finally, this morning, marriage is for the glory of God. Marriage is for the glory of God. This is where Jesus wants us to get today. 
The reason Jesus confronts their self-righteous hearts is because the issue of divorce and remarriage is because it showed that they were living and operating for their own glory. They used marriage for their own momentary glory and pleasure. And the very reason that Jesus came was to be the perfect groom willing to lay down his life for his bride. He willingly gave up his life to redeem our adultery toward him. He willingly forgives our cries for mercy when we have willingly chosen to defile our relationship with him. He willingly gave up his glory so that he could give us an example of a love that can never be broken, never severed, never separated. And he died a death he didn't deserve so that we could be brought into a marriage that we could never earn on our own. Marriage is for the glory of God. God loves marriage. He starts the Bible with the foundation of marriage and he ends the Bible with a marriage, the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. And all of our marriages in between, every marriage here today is meant to be a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives submitting to their husbands as they submit to the Lord. And what God has joined together, let no man separate. So God confronts our hearts. He reveals our hearts. Point number three this morning, Jesus heals the broken heart. Jesus is more concerned this morning with the surrender of your heart than he is with your past failures, mistakes, and sin. Jesus wants your heart this morning. You can give him yours right now. You can ask him to soften your heart right now. You can stop acting as if you have it all together right now. That's not what the Lord requires. Jesus does want your spouse's heart too. But Jesus is more concerned with the surrender of your heart than he is with the behavior modification of your marriage or the behavior modification of your spouse. Where two hearts are surrendered and softened before the Lord, God can do great work. God can hold our marriages together. God can reconcile and redeem the worst of situations, the worst of offenses. So a broken heart is a humble heart. Ask God to make you humble. A broken heart is a transparent heart. Ask God to reveal your sin as you leave today. Maybe he doesn't need to reveal it. Maybe you've just been hiding it or denying it. Offer it up to him. A broken heart is not an idolatrous heart. Cast down your idols. Crush your expectations of getting what you want when you want it. Can you honor Christ and not have that thing that you've held so tightly to? Can you honor Christ and not get what you've worked so hard to pursue and chase after and run after? 
Is Christ truly on the throne of your heart? You can't do any of that for your spouse, but you can do it for yourself here today. You can pray faithfully and persistently for your spouse's heart. God can change it. You can't. But you can keep a soft heart before the Lord. When our hearts break for what breaks his, he brings healing and redemption and grace. I want you to bow your heads. We have a couple minutes. Don't rush past the things that God's word has said to us today. Just remain quiet and pray. Ask God to give you a humble heart. Ask God to give you a soft heart. Confess any sin. Confess your own brokenness. Ask God to create in you a clean heart. To renew a right spirit. What's keeping you from acting like Jesus, from forgiving like Jesus, from bringing glory to God like Jesus? Lord, I pray for my friends here today. Lord, I acknowledge that being human is not easy. Lord, we fall so short of your glory. And yet we thank you for Jesus, who is the substitute for our sins, who is not only the perfect example of someone who upheld the law and showed us the way to live, but He shed his innocent blood knowing that we could never uphold the law on our own. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, we come to him this morning. The author, the finisher of our faith. Would you continue to do work on our hearts? Reveal to us our hypocrisy, our idolatry, our justifying of sinful ways when we failed to give, and give you our hearts. Thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Come on, stand with me.